This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We are in our Christological Christmas, and we are looking at names and titles of Christ, hopefully to help center us during the uh, season in which it's it's actually quite easy to get off kilter and to lose focus and to forget actually the Christ of Christmas, to use a cliche, or we could keep going down the line of cliches that we have to remember that Jesus is the reason for the season. Jump in if you have some favorites that you want to. That's my whole Advent preaching series is Christmas cliches. <laughs> oh, good. Just, good, good that's all good, I do is stand up there and say them. Yeah, there you go. That's good. Um, but we think the Bible is so helpful with just providing us names and titles for Christ that help us understand his person and his work. And I think it's just a wonderful example of how the God of the Bible understands who he's communicating to, that our tendency is to need as much help as we possibly can get. Jesus could have had one title. And that would have been enough. But God has graciously condescended to give us lots of different metaphors or similes or or titles or names to help us just understand the full orb of the work of Christ on our behalf. And so that's our goal through the the month of December is just to help. It's kind of like Dr. Beakey talks about the that the names and titles of Christ are are like holding precious metals or gems and and just holding them with reverence and awe and turning them all different ways to see the different mm. facets of the beauty that they they contain. And so that's that's our goal here um, through this month. And today we come to the title of Prince of Peace, and we've been in Isaiah 9 for a little while. There are four couplets there, and this is the final one. Maybe somebody wants to read verse 6 again so that the, the reader, the reader, so that the listener is with us. Sure. I'll read uh, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what are we to do with the name Prince of Peace? What does it mean? As we think about uh, Prince, we can think about it as a, as a representative of the kingdom. Um, the word there can be a, a, an official, an administrator, uh, administrator, a leader, a, a commander. And so when we think about Prince, it's not a diminish, diminishing of Christ's title as, as King of Kings, but rather it speaks of his representative role, that he's the representative. In fact, this is what he announces in the Gospel of Mark, that the, the kingdom of God has arrived. He, he has brought it to bear upon the lives of his people. 
And then we think about peace. He reconciles us. And the beauty of that reconciliation is that it occurs while we are still enemies, while Mm -hmm. we were against him, while our backs were turned to him. Christ does his uh, reconciling work to us. Jonathan Edwards, he says this, he says, he is a king of the most unparalleled clemency and grace. Never was any kingdom ruled by a government so mild and gentle and gracious. He is exceedingly gracious in the manner of his ruling, his people, by sweetly and powerfully influencing their hearts by his grace, not governing them against their wills, but powerfully inclining their wills toward himself. We see this declared at his birth when the angels appear to the shepherds. And just as, you know, a reminder, this, this host is, it's not, it's not the heavenly choir. It's, it's the heavenly army. And, uh, so imagine terrifying spiritual beings, uh, glorious, uh, in their own right, battle ready, but yet their swords are not drawn. And instead of wiping through the earth and destroying everybody as we all deserve, they proclaim to the shepherds glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And uh, that's, again, that he is, as Vinny, you just said, he's, he's, he brings peace. And uh, that declared even on the day of his birth. Not to undermine Christmas Carol says it's not our goal. So nope. don't hear it that way. <laughs> However, <clears throat> not entirely. No. we do have some of them that proclaim some things or phrase some things in ways that are not helpful. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes people will say, well, Jesus came to bring peace on earth. If you go back to the verse that Ryan just read, it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Mm -hmm. That's different than saying peace on earth. You're right. It's peace to those among those whom he is pleased. So the goal of Jesus Christ coming was to bring peace to his people. Right. It wasn't, peace between God and, and his people, the yes, reconciliation. Yeah. It wasn't to bring peace across the globe and end war. Right. He ended up particular war. Mm-hmm. Most uh, important. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to maybe jump ahead, but how do we, if we think about his second coming and the establishment of his kingdom, that will bring a peace, but it's not a reconciling peace. It, it, it's, it's a peace in the sense that the conflict will be over. The finalized war, I think of Psalm 2, mm-hmm. uh, when he sets his, his enemies as a footstool, when he, he crushes them under, the, under his rod and staff, that will be a peace. That mm-hmm. is, all those who have rebelled and rejected him will be finally defeated. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, Jesus himself proclaims that he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And what he means by that is he references different family relationships of fathers and being against sons and mothers against daughters and so forth. And the idea is there will be those even among some households where they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet now they're in opposition to their home. And uh, so the, the peace here that's as Russ, as you pointed out, it's, it's that peace, not necessarily on a human level. It's the peace ultimately between God and his people. In Romans five, verse one, it says, therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean that justification brings peace with God? Help the listener to understand that connection. Well, through through Christ's saving work, Jesus makes peace with God. It's human sin that puts us at enmity with God and makes us enemies of God. And when sin is removed, then there can be peace. And Jesus... (laughs) 
puts God at peace with us by paying for our sins, satisfying uh, the claims of God's law against us as sinners. We're lawbreakers and transgressors. But Jesus puts us at peace with God by removing the old heart of rebellion against God and replacing it with a new heart with God's law written upon it. In Isaiah 53, it says that but he was pierced, meaning Jesus Christ, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought, that us, brought us peace. That brought mm-hmm. us peace. So we needed a prince to come that was willing to go to Calvary's cross in order to bring about the peace, an end to the hostilities that existed between us and God. He, he accomplishes that peace for us. He gives us that peace, and he maintains that peace for us. You know, because uh, you know he 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 maintains it. You know, in the fact that the sins that are forgiven are forever forgiven, mm-hmm. and you know we, they're not brought back to us. You know. They'll be remembered no more. And that's why in verse 7, Isaiah says, of the increase of his government in <coughs> peace, there will be no end. Mm-hmm. I, I, can I correct something I just said? I, I mentioned that, sure. that, that God, the work of Christ brought an end to the hostilities. And, and that's, that's true, but not complete. And I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm actually complete in my answer. Because at the end of World War I, you actually had an end of hostilities. But the cause of the hostilities wasn't addressed. And so it was inevitable that the conflict would arise again because they, they brought an end, but they didn't eliminate the cause. And so it's not actually complete to say that Jesus Christ has brought an end to the hostilities. He brought an end because he also dealt with the cause. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, both of those have to be spoken of to be completely accurate because, and and I think this is what Ryan that verse seven helps us understand. There's no end to this piece because mm-hmm. the cause of the hostility has been removed as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like, well, it's ended for now and it might come back later on. No, it can't come back because the cause of the hostility has also been dealt with. And this is why, I mean, when you think about the cross of Christ, it's so important that we remember what Jesus has done in that chastisement of our peace, because on the cross, Jesus was punished for our sin. So God is not going, he, he is just, he's not going to punish again what he's already punished. Mm-hmm. And so the peace is never ending because it has all been punished in Christ on the cross. How are we to live in in light of this truth? How does this impact day-to-day living, um, this idea that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? I think in our practical outworking, it it is key that we continually remember that we've been reconciled to God through Christ. And then that empowers us, I think, to to be workers for reconciliation, to borrow Paul's language from Corinthians. So in, in our daily relationships, whether those are in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, in our uh, workspaces, in our recreation, we are to be workers for peace. We are to be workers for reconciliation. I think of Paul's direction, as long as, long as it depends upon us, uh, live at peace with others. And so if there's anything within our power that we're able to do to achieve peace in a relationship, I think we should work for that and, and pursue it again, rooted in the fact that we have been given peace with God through Christ. And I think this also ties into the the series that we've been doing before here. We, we've taken this break, but when we have our Mental Health Mondays, this peace that God has established between us, you know, there's, I, I forget who the first to say it, but 
There's nothing that we can do to make God love us any more, and there's nothing we can do to make him love us any less. So God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So his his love is poured out liberally upon us, and it can't be taken away. This peace has been established. So when we're suffering doubts, when we're suffering anxieties, when we're going through, you know, sometimes the season it brings depression through remembering loved ones lost or or whatever. Uh, remember, if you are a child of God, that can never be taken away. This this whole idea of shalom or peace is uh, uh, the idea that nothing essential will be lacking. Mm. You know, he gives us everything that we need. Nothing essential is lacking to us. Benny kind of cheated ahead a little bit earlier, but we are going to just swing back just a little bit and touch on this um, briefly here at the end of the show about the second coming of Christ. How is the Prince of Peace related to his second advent? Benny, you can repeat yourself, but then we can go on and expand from there as well. Yeah, I think Christ will bring an end to all conflict. That is, those who rebelled and rejected and are at war with God will be finally and utterly defeated when Christ comes and, and brings the final judgment. And so that's the, the peace. It's not the reconciling peace with his enemies at that point. That's already been achieved. But it's the conquering of those who remain his enemies that will happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the all, all wickedness and all rebellion against him will be completely cast you know, into the lake of fire for all of eternity. And so his peace... <coughs> among his people uh, will be full and complete and never interrupted again. And the imagery that scripture uses is that the lion can lay down with the lamb. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed to, I don't think, be a literal, that's what's going to happen. It's to capture, that's how peaceful life will be, is that life, a lamb and a lion are together. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time.